0: Hello, welcome my partners in crime. So lovely to see you all again. And we've got so many more subscribers. So thank you to all the new people. Welcome to Murder Analyze. Now I'm Christina Moore. And so I wanted to just sort of change it up a little bit at the beginning because I usually say about subscriptions and everything. Lots, so I'm going to say it first, so you know what to do Can um, put the thumbs up, which helps with the algorithm. You can subscribe to the channel by hitting anywhere I think on the little watermark that Lacey puts on, on there for you to subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram and on Facebook and you can also catch these on uh, Spotify podcast. So, that bit out the way, Um, welcome and um, here we go. Now, a few of these cases that I've done are unsolved cases. So, the first lot of unsolved cases, this is linked by DNA, so it's the same killer. And um, I wanted to link them for that reason. Um, I've put two, I think it was Eva Stafford and Lynn um, Whedon on it. But there is also another um, missing persons or, you know, unsolved, not missing, but unsolved murder within this as well. So this is like three in one really. So I'm, I'm listen, I mean no disrespect by not doing individual cases on these victims. But it's important that how they link. Is also stated, and these are quite old cases and stuff, 1975 time. Um, so it's really important that they link together in that way, and we show how it also shows, really, that there probably still is a serial killer at large out there um, that attacked these poor girls, uh, murdered these poor girls. But it also shows that sometimes when you are profiling a case and you're investigating a case, is that When we look at, you know, the geographics of it, we look at victimology, look at all this sort of stuff, do these cases link? For a long, long time, these cases didn't link. It wasn't until many years later, I think 2011, I think, or 2007, that um, DNA linked these cases. So it's important to understand that not every killer's MO remains the same. Just because we might think that a killer's M.O. is one way doesn't mean stay doesn't change very quickly and um, that can be then more difficult to catch a killer like this. So this is the case really of Eve Stafford and Lynn uh, Whedon and it's about really a killer's DNA that linked these murders. So Eve Stafford, uh, she was born the twenty eighth of December, nineteen fifty three, and she died on the eighteenth of March, nineteen seventy five. Now she was an uh, English Playboy Bunny, club and model, and she was murdered in her own flat. Um, Lynn Weedon was uh, was uh, born on the eleventh of November, nineteen fifty eight, and she died on the tenth of September, nineteen seventy five. So we had a murder now in the March, and then another one in the September of 1975. Now, Lynn was a schoolgirl and she was raped and beaten to death six months after Eve was. Uh, Neither case, case has ever been solved. There's still unsolved cases these, even though some DNA was found much, much later, and we'll go into that in a little while. So on the surface, as I said, there's nothing really that's connecting or connected these two murders at the time. One victim, you know, Eve, really lives this wild, glamorous life. Um, and she was found dead in East London in her bedroom and her throat had been slit. Um, and it was assumed really by an unknown lover at the time. This is what they assumed. Now the other, now she was 15 year old at the time you know, this schoolgirl, and she was raped and bludgeoned to death as she walked home from a night out with friends, um, and it was about six months later really, so almost 30 years, or probably more than 30 years later, the DNA evidence proved that the same attacker or killer killed both Eve and Lynn. Now, So this now, for the detectives, it sort of threw them off a little bit because the cases were so different. So the victimology was different. You had, you know, one was a bunny girl. She lived in a lifestyle, I suppose, where she um, would have come into contact maybe with more people. Lynn was a schoolgirl. They both had no connections at all to each other. They didn't know each other. Their lifestyles were totally different. His MO then was different as well because you know where Lynn was killed in her home in her flat in London in daylight Lynn was killed really in an alleyway it looked like he lay in wait for her so his MO was totally changed and I think this is why I want to do these cases together and actually add the last one in after because it's important to remember when we look, and especially for a lot of students that we have on here and people that are really interested in profiling, is sometimes what you see is not real, it's not, you know, we, we think as profilers, okay, this profile, I mean, it takes some guts, I'm telling you, for any perpetrator to to get into someone's house or be invited into someone's house in broad daylight and murder them so viciously, actually, as um, Eve was murdered. And then the other side of the killer is where he lays in wait outside in the middle of, you know, 11 o'clock, I think, Um, Lynn was murdered in the evening, 11pm. And so they... They don't believe that she knew her killer at all. He just lay in wait and, it, and if it wasn't Lynn, it could have been another vi- a victim, really. So the, his MO is totally different with all the murders. And I think it's really important to understand this about this killer because this is probably one of the reasons why he hasn't been caught and probably for many, many years you're looking for a certain killer. We're looking for, in Eve's case especially, they were looking for and focused on, actually, ex-boyfriends and um, people that may have frequented the clubs and stuff she worked in. You know, you could have even added Stalker into that. Uh, Not that they would have even thought of that in 1975. It wasn't really around them. But they never linked the two because the two cases were so far apart. So, evidence was lost then because when you don't link something so early on, it was impossible. No one would have ever thought that these cases were linked in any way at all. The victims were different, everything about these cases were different. And if it wasn't for finding that DNA, 30 years later plus, these cases would still be unsolved, but they would be separate. So now it's much easier for the police now, because you're thinking now about a perpetrator, that could have done, or potentially done, many, many more crimes, murders and they just haven't been linked because the MO was different. So this is a really important case for that. So let's start with Eve's story. So Eve Stafford, she was found dead at her boyfriend's flat, um, or by her boyfriend, sorry, they shared a flat together, on the 18th of March 1975. Uh, and their flat was in uh, Lyndhurst Drive in Leighton. Her throat had been cut between 8 and 12 times. This was a vicious, vicious attack on her. She was found partially unclothed. She had nylon stockings tied around one of her ankles, and her hands had been bound with a scarf. On the day of her murder, police found out she had visited um, Camden, Bayswater, and there was no signs that she had been followed or anything else. From what witnesses have said, she was last seen, I think, about 4.30 p.m. And, um, or heard actually, not seen, at 4.30 p.m. Because she lived in the flat. The woman below her flat said that she heard female, a male and a female voice talking, and this followed by a bump. So, Eve was a nude model, a bunny girl at the Playboy Club in Mayfair. She lived with her pop star boyfriend who had a string of lovers, both male and female. So, when we talk about victimology, Eve's case, you would have to look at everything to do with her. So, I can understand why the police at first thought it was a disgruntled lover or it, you know, something like that with Eve. Um, and I think, by the way, she was found because she was partially un, you know, undressed. Um, it looked like, and there was no breaking entry. There was no forced entry. He, whoever came in that home, was invited in. So it looks like Eve knew her killer. She knew him. But whether she was having some affair with him, whether she was having some relationship with him... It's unclear, but it looks like she actually knew her killer. Now, despite her lifestyle, she was quite a naive girl. All she ever wanted to be was a model. That's all she ever wanted to be. Um, one of her friends said, you know, who was a fellow funny uh, girl as well, that she was desperate to be a model all her life, that's all she wanted to be, she loved it. And I don't know if she was quite young and naive and, and when she got into this sort of lifestyle that she became, you know, or her sexual preferences changed and things and she went along with it, but she enjoyed her life. She was a very pretty girl. She was doing what she wanted to do. She had a boyfriend and I think he understood her lifestyle and stuff. And um, she was happy with that. But someone, obviously, was out to kill Eve. Now, some of the clients at this, because it's Mayfair, right? It's Mayfair in London. So, lots of money, a lot of stuff goes on around there. And um, she was a bunny girl. And she had lots and lots of photos that she was very proud of and used to send them home to her mum and dad. You know, look at who I've met today. And, and stuff, so I think it was Eric Morecambe and Sid James, which is, if you're English and you're older like me, you'd remember these, uh, these would be the sort of people, you know, that would frequent these places, everyone, you know, in London, it was a, it was like a nightclub and it was a bunny club, um, it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't, you know, strips and all this sort of thing, but they were bunny girls, okay, they were bunny girls, and she was a nude model, and um, You know, I think she liked the notoriety, she liked meeting these sort of people, and she liked the photographs, and she was proud of herself. You know, she was making money, living the life, sending the photos home to her mum and dad, and they were proud of her. They were proud of her, because really, Eve had achieved her goal. Her whole goal was to be um, a, a model, and especially in them days, a bunny girl. So Eve, um, I think she came from um, Warrington in Cheshire and she left there in about 1970 to come to London to make her fortune. Um, she was angered, I think, at this point as well around this time by her management or the managers, management of the club. Um, she was frustrated that she had not been picked, actually, um, for the Playboy magazine. So she appeared in the rival Mayfair magazine instead. Now, her boss was a bit pissed off about this because she was actually one of the favourite bunny girls and in them days we didn't have the internet and everything else, it was magazines and so she made then the centrefold of the Mayfair magazine but not of the Playboy magazine and that's really, I I think, did anger her boss. Now her boss was well known for um, having relations with bunny girls and stuff like that and I think at this point he um, sort of told her that's why she wasn't working. He sort of said, you know, that's it, I'm really fed up because you've done a wrong thing really. And I think, I don't think he sacked her, but I think he suspended her for a a while um, for doing that. But she just wanted to be a centrefold, and I don't think she cared the consequences for doing it. So whether that has something to do with the murder, I'm I'm not, I'm not sure. Again, you have to think of the people that frequented this club. There was many, many people, wealthy people. Uh, There was a lot of people actually um, questioned, celebrities questioned, and their names have never been released. There was also wealthy businessmen from overseas. There was, you know, uh, lots of people that frequented this place um, that could have at any point had any reason, I suppose, um, to want to... Kill her, but I think really, I think what I when I look at this case, my look at Eve's life style and stuff. I think it was probably a stalker. I don't know if it was this rich and famous man because I don't think she was interested in that anyway. I mean, a a fella that she was living with was in a band and he'd really you know done lots of different things with um you know different different sort of high up bands but then really then he he he'd sort of lost it and he was just doing a normal job after that so i don't think that eve was about the money she knew she could earn her own money i think so when we talk about the motive for a murder Listen, there's, lo- there could be- there's loads, isn't there, really, when you think about it. But I think what we would th- look at today was that there was a predatory stalker on her. And a lot of these predators like this. You know, you're showing them attention, anything, whether it's negative attention or not. She didn't even know, I don't think, she'd been stalked. But she knew the person, without a doubt. She knew the person. Now, whether she knew him just as a friend or someone, an associate of somebody else, but she knew him. And the, really, the motive was literally to kill Eve. That was really it. So on the 18th of March, um, her boyfriend came home from work and Eve's mutilated body actually was found on a mattress beside the bed. So, you know, um, they didn't use the bed, he didn't kill her on the bed. I mean, there's a, when you're thinking of this person, he didn't, he used a mattress at the side of the bed. Um, and as I said, she was tied up and, and everything, and she was partially clothed and um, I think the whole place was like splattered in blood, and she was splattered in blood. So there was lots of evidence, if you'd like to say, at that point. Um, now, next to her body was a bunch of dried flowers, um, and they were wrapped in cellophane and stuff. So, and they were quite cheap. Now. This area where she lived and where she works, and if you're talking about someone with money coming to see you, too, and so someone she knew, we obviously knew she knew them, let her in, it wouldn't have been a cheap bunch of dried flowers wrapped in cellophane, because obviously this bunch of flowers was no way for all in this area at all. They checked, you just couldn't get it there was like dried grass and leaves and stuff so listen i think there's evidence there and i still say it because it looks like this person had picked these himself now cellophane there would be dna stuff on that cellophane but we're talking about 1975 right now sometimes you know i can I rip the bit of um, cellophane or i cut it with the scissors but you're handling cellophane. our cellophane with our, you know, oily, you know, fingerprinty fingers is going to leave it. And also it's going to leave DNA. But, and I think the dried bunch of flowers, these days we would have analysed where these flowers come from. They were dried. Someone's picked them, dried them out. They were cheap. And the reason I keep saying they were cheap, because Mayfair, and around this area where she lived, was not a cheap area at all. So whoever brought her these flowers, she knew. She knew him, but she didn't know him, maybe from the clubs. Or if he was in the clubs, he probably worked in the clubs. He'd done something other than, he could have been a delivery driver. He could have been anything, but he wasn't a wealthy person. He just wasn't, because a wealthy person wouldn't have really brought, however they would have sent them, especially in this area. Um, and they certainly wouldn't have wrapped them in cellophane. So that's sort of telling us something about this perpetrator, really, just in the flowers alone. But of course it's 1975, so there is no DNA, is there? There's fingerprints and stuff, but did they think to take the cellophane, all this, that and the other? Luckily, we have now got lots more you know, DNA techniques, which hopefully if, and you know, was they stored? Because as I keep saying, DNA, we keep talking about the advances in DNA, but unless the evidence is kept properly, stored properly, um, you can't get it. Now, in 1975, they may have thought that these flowers meant nothing. They meant nothing. Where in today's investigation, they would have started off a different avenue of searching, um just how I've explained it there, because they are relevant, they're really relevant to this case, they really are, and it's, um, I think they had their eye on someone, the police, for many, many years. It was an associate of her boss's, very, very rich um, man, a uh, businessman, um, and I think they focused on that for many, many years because of, of her lifestyle, where she lived, what she did. They just assumed it was someone very wealthy. Now, when that man died and the family gave his DNA, um, it wasn't a match. It wasn't a match at all. So for many, many years, the focus was on the wrong person literally the wrong person and I think with this case you're looking for someone that doesn't live that lifestyle at all. Now you can imagine can't you then this girl was murdered it comes out in the newspapers what she's doing for a living her lifestyle because in all countries you know when we have victims of crime and they are very pretty and they have a different lifestyle to what some of us may live, or what some of us may feel is acceptable, people started saying that, oh, she deserves what she got, you know, she it was a lover gone wrong, it was this, it was that, it was her fault, that's what Reading people said, she deserved it, it was her fault, I mean, <laughs> thank God, really, times have changed, where we accept people for what they are. And I've always say in all these cases, no matter what you do for a living, no matter what, you have a right to live your life freely, you know. And um, this poor girl's family, you know, they've lost their child, who they loved and adored. She was a great daughter. She'd send her mum home things. She was very young, this girl, I think 23 very young to lose her life. She was a bunny girl, yes. She was a model, yes. But she was murdered. Terribly murdered by somebody. And because everyone thought that either she deserved it or um, she knew the person because she would sleep with both men and women, that she, um, you know, it's not the police, it's the public. I think held back a lot really, um, and it was terrible really, um, you know, yes she had a colourful sex life, absolutely, and today um, I think some people will still be the same on it, but really a life is a life, and we only get one of it, don't we, we get one life, and for someone to come and take that life away in this way is terrible. But I think for the family, for the mum and the dad, who was devastated by her loss, they had crank calls bombarded with them. Terrible, obscene phone calls, terrible stuff was happened to this family. And three years after her murder, her own mother suffered a nervous breakdown because of it. It's re- uh, really, really upsetting, isn't it, when you think, that we don't have empathy for people that lose their children, you know, at any age, and that some people think that murder is acceptable because they don't like your lifestyle. It's just not, and it's not really uh, a good way, I think, to be. So, let's talk about um, Lynn Winden, uh Whedon. As I've said before, it's hard to imagine, isn't it, about these two victims were so different in their lifestyles. And as I said, they did not know each other. There's no link other than the DNA link of the killer that links these two murders. That's it, different lifestyle, different ages, different everything. So, um, Lynn was hit over the head uh, with a blunt object and then she was raped on the 3rd of September 1975, six months after Eve Stafford's death. She was attacked near her home in Hounslow. So 45 years since Lynn, the schoolgirl, was murdered, the detective continued to appeal actually for vital evidence which could help catch her killer. So it was a Wednesday, it was the 3rd of September 1975, around 23.20, 11.20. Here. Lynn, I think she was 16 at the time actually, not 15. Now, Lynn was raped and murdered near her home. So, Lynn had been on her way home after an evening out with her friends, she had a lovely evening. Now, Lynn was on her way home after an evening out with her friends, now detectives have fault that she was followed on foot at Great, um, Great West Road, right, this is on the A4, into an alleyway called the Short Hedges. Uh, where she was hit with a blunt instrument and then thrown over a fence fence onto the grounds of like this electrical uh, substation. I don't know if you have them, we have them quite, we used to have more of them, or we used to see more of them. But they either used to be fenced and there was just the little substations and usually they're overgrown and stuff, but her body was thrown over in one of them. And that is where she was raped. So we'd knocked her out, beaten her, thrown her over he had gone over there and raped her in there now Lynn was discovered by a local scare, uh, school uh, caretaker whose house overlooked this substation despite this you know despite all these injuries she was still alive she lived when the police and ambulance arrived at the scene you know she was dying but she was alive. Uh, she never regained consciousness, so she couldn't tell them anything about her attacker. And to tell the truth, I think she was attacked from behind so she wouldn't have remembered it. And she died in West uh, Middlesex Hospital a week later on the 10th of September, 1975. So the the, the MOs are totally different here. You had Eve that was, her throat was slit, you know, um, eight to 10 times. There was no knife used here hit her over the head. I mean, to tell you the truth, if it was me, you know, and I don't know what Peter Sutcliffe was doing around in 1975, but this is his sort of thing, his early days. But I think with Sutcliffe, he wouldn't have tried to hide the body light to sort of leave them on show. Um, But we just don't know. But I think they've done his DNA, so it's not him. So... Um, it's it, you know it's his sort of MO. So listen, there's a serial killer now, right? Because we've got another one coming up in 1975. With totally different MOs. He's going to go into your home, which is very rare for anyone to come into your home and kill you. To tell the truth, in broad daylight. Um, and then you've got the other side of him that follows, attacks from behind uses no knife and rapes your nation. And, you. and um totally different. So I could understand, even now, unless there was DNA evidence, these two crimes wouldn't have been linked at all. Totally different. Totally different. So Pauline's uh cause of death was this single blow, one hit to the head. That's what she died from in the end. She would have survived the rape. Everything, but that's what she died from, one single blow to the skull, and it smashed, and it was quite a heavy object, actually. So, listen, these cases, Eve's case as well, was a cold case. There was no real evidence there uh, in 1975. Now, in 2004, Lynn's case um, was, it was a cold case, but in 2007, They decided now, with new DNA techniques and stuff like this, showed that the same person committed these murders. So now we've opened the door. So now you think, great, we've got some DNA. We know they're now linked. Um, And they would have had, you know, had a looked on all the databases and stuff. Um, And yes, they've got the DNA profile and they know the profiles of the two, of one killer for the two, but there's no person on the database that matches that DNA. So listen, by this time now both cases are open aren't they, that's it, it's reopened, everyone thinks great, there's hope here, you know 2007 there's hope, so on BBC um, Crime Watch actually they done this programme and everything can reconstruct it and told everything um, and then they've brought in more officers and they set up, you know, an incident room and everything, Uh, and it was called Operation Stealth, they they done it, because really, you know, it's um, invigorating, isn't it, when you think, okay, you've finally got some DNA, you've got two dead girls here, we can finally, or hopefully, you know, we've got much more chance now of solving this murder, even though it's 30 years on, than we had on the day that these girls were murdered, really. With the advances now in the dna and the forensics there's so much more we can do but you know <laughs> if they're not in a database because we didn't i think it was you know previous 20 years before that really or before you know 2007 um, if they hadn't if he hadn't committed a crime then his dna wouldn't be or if he wasn't caught for not doing a crime it wouldn't be in a database. So you've got DNA, you've got this profile and no one to match it with. So frustrating, really is. So I think in 2012 um, we had the case of what has already been done, the investigation techniques and the forensic techniques in the Stephen Lawrence's case. Now Stephen Lawrence case was one really on forensic uh, stuff, it wasn't really one on, on much else. And it was the forensic techniques that helped convict them killers in that that they were now using the same techniques to try and convict this killer or try and find this killer, really. so And that was in 2012. And in 2015, the police issued a fresh appeal. You know, this is like 40 years after this murder or the murder of Eve Stafford, it was released again. Um, and they wanted now to, because you're thinking someone may have known this killer 40 years on. 40 years on, this man's been going. And um, people may feel more relaxed to talk about it and stuff, so that these appeals continue to come out. And the same as what we do on here. We do these cases to refresh anyone's memory. You know, these cases are very old, but sometimes people are in fear of saying something about a perpetrator, for fear that something's going to happen to them. And that perpetrator may have now died or may have, you know, um, be in a position where you can't hurt that person anymore and lots of people come forward and this is why people do appeals even though it's 40 years after and as our techniques and forensics and that are now and like forensic genealogy, genealogy and all this stuff that we're using now to find out whether the perpetrator had the brothers this that now it goes can go right back so we can try and track this killer but at present there's nothing actually on it really nothing So think about this, the man who carried out these crimes is now of a different generation, he's older, he's the older generation now. I think, i listen, I mean some police officer has said, I think his name was uh, Noel McChute, uh, Chief Inspector Noel, Noel, and he said, he was hoping that the perpetrator after all these years would have remorse and come forward with him I mean it's just not going to happen is it it's just I mean it's just if they don't all of a sudden you know think oh I better say sorry for that it just doesn't happen very rarely does it happen but I think Lynn's mother because I think Eve's mum and dad now are passed away and I think Lynn's was at this time when these appeals were going ahead in 2015, 2016, still alive. Um, and as she said, it's been 40 years since her daughter had um, been taken away from her. Now, they have had nothing. They've had no... luckily, they've got the bodies. But they've had no justice for her. They'd also worried about this man being out there and doing it to other people. because they'd done it to her daughter. He could have done it to anybody. So I think for Lynn's parents, it was um, it was frustrating, and, and for Eve's parents, very, very frustrating that nothing, this crime was never solved. These crimes were never solved. But both of them, actually both families, all the families, were so concerned that this person that did this to their children was out there and probably doing it to others. And so they really pushed for appeals and really tried to keep the, um, these cases in the public eye. More, yes, they wanted to find who killed their daughter, of course you would, their daughters, but more so, as so they said, to protect people, to make people aware, listen, there is someone out here that has done these terrible crimes and um, has never been caught. So all of a sudden we think okay, these two cases are linked. Now there is another case that is linked mainly not by DNA but by the MO. Now her name is Linda Farrett. Now the murderer four years after Eve Stafford's murder of the pregnant mother of two, Linda, was a, they had such strong similarities to Eve's death. Now, I think um, Linda, now she actually worked in the same sort of industry as Eve did. Also, she was killed within her home, the same as Eve. Not not the same as Lynn, but the same as Eve. So she was 29 year old. Um, she had le- recently left her husband and taken her children. Uh, to live with her boyfriend, uh, when an intruder broke in and stabbed her repeatedly. Now, I know you're all going to say it, the husband did it, he didn't do it, absolutely he didn't do it. It was a horrific scene, and it was discovered by her daughters, who were 8 and 11 years old at the time, when they came home from school. Unable to get in, they peered through the letterbox, and that's the sort of scene that they found. Now, police were convinced Linda knew her killer. She knew him because, again, there was no forced entry into her home at all. Um, She had let the person in. Very similar to Eve's case. Uh, And also, this was in Woodford Green, East London. Same sort of areas as well. So, her boyfriend and her husband were quickly eliminated actually from this investigation. Um, And I'm glad they did because when you look at the similarities here, I think everyone, I mean, people think, oh, because he's the ex. They all got on well. They all got on well. These were eliminated. There was nothing. But this girl worked in the same industry. So, we're looking at. Victimology, you're trying to relate, do they know each other, have they ever met, are they working in the same industry, yes they were, yes they were, they were killed in the same way, the knife, they were killed in the home, their own homes, again, very rare for someone to break in your home and kill you, and then we have two of them within four years. So, I think there was a hunt centred on, actually, a witness described a well-built man in his 30s with an Afro hairstyle, wearing a donkey jacket, who was seen running away from the scene. Now, remember in um, Eve's case, there was no real witnesses who heard the person saying downstairs in the rotten flat, she could hear a man and a woman's voice and then a bump. In this murder, we have someone that actually saw someone running away. And I also said in Eves, that I didn't think the perpetrator was wealthy. Now, when you're in a donkey jacket, Mm -hmm. that means that you are working. You're working. So as I said, did he know them from working in these clubs, from maybe building something around these clubs, from um, just frequenting these clubs, but not in that way? Was he delivering? Was he doing something? This man, this killer, was not a wealthy man. Now, DCI, Colin Sutton. Now, you've got to love him, haven't you? He's he's great. Now, he was a detective that led the investigation, actually, into Levi Belfield case. Very, very good detective he is. Um, And I don't think he stops um, Colin. I I think he just goes for it. You know, he's, he's got something in his mind, he's usually right, actually, to tell, tell you the truth. I think he's quite savvy when it comes to um, the profiling of, of certain killers, and he was the one that said, listen, you know, um, and he said, I think, since 2015, that Eve Stafford and all the evidence that was available um, to them, you know, was all sent to this, um, all of it was sent to this... Um, scientific analysis, because he believed that Linda, Eve, and Lynn are all linked, they're all the same killer. Now, we know even Lynn is because the DNA link of the perpetrator, but this case, you know, Linda's case, she is definitely a victim of the same killer. It's too, there's too much to say that she isn't really. Now, it, it, um, it was disappointing that uh, the evidence in Linda's murder hadn't been um, checked for DNA, and uh, and really, uh, you know, I, I don't know why. In, in you know, a lot of officers keep, you know, when they go in, the forensic team, not even in 1975, have a detective, they were quite savvy about keeping certain pieces of, you know, evidence and stuff and somewhat, and as I said to you before, if you haven't got the the evidence securely taken, packed away, stored, refrigerated, whatever else you need to do to make sure that you can get the DNA, not only a DNA, because now we don't need much DNA, but a tiny sample would do it, but it has to be a good sample really, meaning a good sample. To be relied on as evidence. So you can test whatever you want, and now with DNA, you can test stuff really which is so low grade you wouldn't believe it. But unless it's been stored properly and everything else, it's not admissible in court. So it's really important that any DNA, anything, any evidence is stored correctly for a very long time, and that's how cold cases are solved. But I think. You know, DCI Colin Sutton is right when he's linked the three of these murders together. Absolutely. I think the MO shows that this man is um, happy to kill inside or out middle of the day, in the evening. Um, I do think he is a stalker type person. I do think at least two of these victims knew him. Um, But I don't think that Lynn did, I think she was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Okay, so we now think, or we really, I think I think we all have to agree with Colin, Colin Sutton, but I'd like your opinions whether you think it's a different um, perpetrator or not that killed, killed Lynn. Um, or Linda. So you have this DNA now, you have the profile, from Eve and Lynn from 1975. Then, four years later, now 1979, you have Linda now murdered by what we assume to be the same perpetrator. There is no DNA evidence really collected from that scene that can be used now to determine whether the same killer or not, okay? but I think if you are looking in a profiling way, the radius is there, so geographical, you have the MO very similar, or similar, exactly similar actually, to Eve's, you have then um, not that they knew each other, but they were linked by what they did for a living or similar livings. Um, you have them both now killed in their same in their homes in the day. One we have now a male voice so we knew it was a male in Eves, and then we have a sighting of a man in a donkey jacket with afro hair. So we have sort of these these links um, and I think dCI um Conin Sutton um, you know. I have to agree with him, I think they are linked. So, but we would never, would we? And I think this is what this case is really about. So, when we're talking about DNA, we're talking about now forensic, um, like, um, genealogists or genealogy. So, as I said to you before, I would love to do cold cases. But this is the difficulty with cold cases, is because you're relying on what was collected 30, 40, 50 years ago if you're going to use DNA evidence. Now, I'm not saying that they can't get DNA 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, because we can. And this is why a lot of these killers should now be worried, because you can get it. And then not only can we track them, but really it starts off, doesn't it, with, um, you know, genealogists actually tracing your family history to bring you down from thousands to six or seven people and then from there the investigation is much more easier. But the problem is with that, it takes time and it takes money. And um, by the time you're probably going to catch this man now, you know if he's not dead already, Um, but it would be interesting wouldn't it and it it would solve these cases so much money and I think this is and it's not even about the money I think that hold these police officers up it is about um, the time because as I said we don't know how many murders this man's done but we know there's plenty of more murderers out there and as they're trying to work on these cold cases and stuff more and more come in all the time so you have a lot now of ex-police officers ex-everything you know lawyers and everything I know now that work on hold cases because one it's very interesting and two you want to solve a murderer you know you want to solve a murder and three you want to get a murderer off the street that's the whole thing because a murderer if he kills in his 20s who's to say he's not going to kill in his 80s is is of course he is if he's not cool of course he is so in this case the dna Profile's not there, so he couldn't have been arrested within the last 20 years, or else his DNA profile would have been on the database. So, okay, he's quite a um, intelligent criminal, as most people like him are. He didn't leave a lot of stuff anyway um, at his crime scenes at all, but did he once he as he, if he continued on to kill later on, after 1979, 80s, 90s, 2000s, which he could have well done, he would have been forensically aware then. And then, you know, and also because his MA's cha- uh, MO's changed so much, the crimes weren't linked to him. But anyway, so, listen, this man could have died. He could have moved abroad. He may have come from abroad. He may have only been here working for six, eight months and then come back again. You don't know, do you? But he done if it was him that done Linda's murder, he was here in nineteen seventy five and he was here in nineteen seventy nine. And and up until now we don't know of any other murders that are linked um to this profile at all. So did he go back, did he die? Was he in prison? What else happened to him? Um Really, we just don't, we're not going to know when really whether, if I don't know if these cases can be solved to tell with the truth, and it won't be unless um this forensic teams that are working on it um, find something you know that's going to link this man, but if he's not in the system, there's nothing There's just nothing. so it's likely, isn't it? that the suspects of both these murders, in the 60s and the 70s, you know, would be in his 60s or 70s now, if he is alive or still in this country. Um, I, I think, though, with this man, he's a very dangerous man. He's a very dangerous man. He was, and if he's still alive, he still would be. Because of his MO, it changes. And when you have someone that, like this perpetrator, that will, in broad daylight, knock on someone's door, hand them a cheap bunch of flowers, dried flowers that he's probably picked and done himself, and then murder them, and then calmly walk out. And then six months later, murder a 16-year-old in an alleyway and then if it was Linda's killer, to do the same thing four years later. was it done in between? What worries me? Again, to go into someone's home. There was no forced entry here. How did he get in? How did he get in? They knew him or they trusted him to be something he wasn't. So listen, this has been the case of the linked DNA case that links these mur- this murderer to two of the victims but I think really it probably links to the third victim as well all these cases remain unsolved this perpetrator has never ever been found there isn't even been a hint of who he is even though that there is a DNA profile that's it. I hope you found this case interesting. You know what to do. Thumbs up if you liked it. You can follow us on Instagram, you can follow us on um, Facebook, you can have a listen to this on podcast, Spotify Minutes Down, you can subscribe anytime you would like. So thank you for watching my partners in crime. Until the next time. Bye bye.